You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Eye of newt and tail of something. Well, I forget the rest, and I don't even know where you get these ingredients. Can you get them online? I don't know. We'll have to check. We'll check on that. Hello, hello, my dear friend. Thank you for joining me today. I'm TK, and this is For the Love of History. If you're joining me for the first time today, thanks for coming. If you've been listening for a while, thanks for coming back. I just want to say happy holidays, happy solstice, happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, happy Christmas, and just happy winter if you don't celebrate a specific holiday in the winter season. That's cool. I just hope you're having a good day. I know a lot of us can't be with our families and friends in the way that we want to, so I hope our time together today can give you a little smile and maybe a chuckle. Today's episode is my winter holiday present to you. We're talking about, dun dun dun, winter witches and folklore. This was so fun for me to research because I usually don't look into magic and folklore, so it was a lovely change of pace for me, and I hope you're going to enjoy the switch up too. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Grab a hot beverage. I'm drinking Earl Grey, and uh, get you a warm blanket. Let's make like Lee Shang and get down to business. Mulan reference. <laughs> okay, let's get started. In every culture around the world, there are two things that will always be found music and folklore. It doesn't matter if you're looking in China or Sudan or Nepal or Mozambique, the US, Chile, Japan, Thailand, Russia, wherever you will always find music and folklore. And where there is folklore, there are witches. In South Africa, you have the Sangoma. In North America, in the Navajo culture, you have the skinwalkers. In Chile, you have the Kalku and the Machi. In the Philippines, you have the Mangukulam. And in Eastern Europe, you have Baba Yaga. Whatever name they go by, they are usually powerful and loved or powerful and feared. And when witches are feared, bad, uh, bad things tend to happen, like the Salem witch trials, the European witch hunts, and the witch hunts in ancient Mesopotamia, Syria, Canaan, and Palestine. People just don't seem to like powerful women. Well, why the heck is that, TK? Great question. Starting off strong. I swear, you get smarter every week, friend. So there's a couple theories on why that is, but the one that seems to make the most sense and has the most evidence to back it up is the weather theory. Mm, yes, weather. According to Emily Oster, a Harvard grad and now professor, so you know she's a smart little cookie, she wrote about this weather theory in the Journal of Economic Perspectives. Now, what the heck does economics have to do with witches? A lot, actually. A whole heck of a lot, friend. So here's what Emily did. She went through European records from 1520 to 1770. She looked at temperature and corresponding crop yields, and then she cross-referenced that with dun-dun-dun 
witch trial and accusation records. And guess what M found? Sharp drops in temperature coincided with low crop yields, so that means like not a lot of stuff was grown, and a poor economy, which then coincided with the highest number of accusations and witch trials. So what does this mean? Well, when the weather drops super low, crops can't grow, right? And if crops can't grow, you're kind of screwed because back in the day, that was all you had. If you didn't make any food, then there was no supermarket to go to and you just kind of starved. And hungry people are angry people. So they were looking for someone to blame during these times of starvation and severe cold. And who better than the women who didn't fit into society were the women who didn't go to mass on Sunday and who created medicine from herbs when people got sick or unwed women who chose not to be controlled. The powerful and the independent women, a.k.a. the witches. Since 1448, when Pope Innocent VIII solidified the belief that witches were evil with a papal bull that he wrote, witches, or those believed to be witches in Europe, were hella persecuted. And can we just talk about Pope Innocent's name for a second? Because he is not innocent. He is responsible for, like, secondhand murdering Murdering, murdering, oh my god, secondhand murdering hundreds and thousands of people and also cats, people and cats, which is just some bullshit. Anyways, I digress. So within the papal bull, which is just kind of like a law or a declaration, there were kind of like guidelines as to what to look for to determine if someone was a witch. Weather control was thought to be one of the big signs. So if it got real cold, real fast, then a witch was in your town or in your village. So hide your kids, hide your wife, because there's witches up in here. (laughs) Even before the Pope, not so innocent, there were connections between women and winter with lots of lovely and not so lovely folklore and legends that we're going to talk about right now. Our first witchy woman of the day comes all the way from Germany. She goes by many names, but is most well-known as Frau Holda or Mother Holda. Marija Gimbutza, who was a Lithuanian-American archaeologist, and anthropologist wrote that Mother Hulda was originally an ancient Germanic supreme goddess who is older than, predates most of the Germanic gods, including deities such as Odin, Thor, Freya, and Loki. I know, crazy, right? I feel like she needs her own Marvel series movie or something. (laughs) So Mother Holda's story is very old, but it was written down for the first time in 1812 in the Brothers Grimm stories, and it goes a little something like this. There once was a rich widow who lived with her daughter and her stepdaughter. The widow favored her younger biological daughter and allowed her to become spoiled and lazy and just not a nice person while the older daughter, the stepdaughter, would sit outside the cottage and spin yarn and string and whatever you spin on a spindle 
all day long. She had to do the cooking, the cleaning, and everything. But her biggest job was using this spindle. One day, the older daughter was spindling next to a river, and it fell in. And she was like, oh my gosh, my mom is going to be so mad at me if I don't go get this spindle. So what does she do? She jumps into the river, and she finds herself not in water, but in a meadow. She begins to walk in the meadow, and she comes across a baker's oven filled with, you guessed it, bread. But not just any bread, magical talking bread. And the bread calls out to the older daughter, help us, help us, we're going to burn. So the older daughter says, yeah, that's cool. That's not weird, talking bread. I'm just going to help this talking bread get out of the oven. So she does. She helps the talking bread and she moves on with her life. And then she comes across some trees with apples on them. Not just any apples, talking apples. And the apples call down to her, help us, help us, please harvest us. And so she does. Without even batting an eyelash, she helps these talking apples. Then she goes on for a little bit longer and she finds a house. Whose house? Well, Frau Holda's house, of course. Frau Holda comes out of the house and greets the girl and says, Hello, welcome. Can you help me? And the older daughter says, Of course I can help you. Let's go inside. And Frau Holda asks her to fluff all of her pillows and her blankets in order to make it snow in the older girl's world. So the older daughter fluffs and shakes and does whatever to the blankets and pillows and makes it snow in her own world. After a few days of helping out, Frau Holda is just ecstatic, delighted with how much the older daughter has been helping her. So she says, I will return you back to your home, but first let me give you some presents. So Frau Holda gives the older daughter just a ton of gold, just so much gold, and then sends her on her merry way, and the older daughter mysteriously finds herself right in front of her mother's house. The older daughter tells her mother and her younger sister all about Frau Holda and all the experiences that she had, and the mother, not wanting her younger daughter, her favorite daughter, to miss out, she throws her into the river telling her younger daughter, go, go get some gold from Frau Holda. The younger daughter goes into the river, comes out into the meadow, and walks and walks, and then comes across the same bread. And the bread calls out to her, help us, help us, we're going to burn. But she ignores the bread and walks on. Then she meets the apples that are calling down from the tree. Help us, help us, harvest us. But she once again ignores them and keeps on walking until she gets to Frau Holda's house. Now Frau Holda comes out when the girl reaches her house and she is pissed because the younger daughter didn't help the apples nor the bread. But she says, I'll give you one more try. Please fluff all the pillows and the sheets so that your world can have snow. And the younger daughter says, nah, I'm not here to do work. I'm here to get gold. And Frau Holda's like, not with that attitude, you're not. And she pours hot pitch all over the girl instead of giving her gold. 
And if you don't know what hot pitch is, it's basically liquid, molten, rubbery stuff. So the girl dies, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a... That's a doozy of a fairy tale, isn't it? <laughs> so that, my friend, is the fairy tale of Frau Holda, but I know what you're thinking. TK, she doesn't really sound like a witch. She did some good stuff. She did some mad stuff. She had some magical talking food, but was she really a witch? What's the magical connection here? Well, according to the Germanic Catholic Church, Frau Holda was connected to the spirit world through the magic of spinning and weaving. Often her fairy tales have something to do with spinning or weaving. It's in there somewhere. And it's also said that in the beginning of the 11th century, she was known as the leader of women and female nocturnal spirits, which is the coolest part, I think, of the whole mythology of Frau Holda. So the nocturnal spirits are these women who would lead their house in spirit only, going out through closed doors in the silence of the night, leaving their sleeping husbands and their bodies behind. They would travel super long distances through the sky to great feasts or to battles among the clouds. And these women were known as Frau Holda's hunt, or the Yule hunt. This sounds super cool, right? All these ladies going on a hunt, doing battles together, hoo-hoo. But Mother Holda does kind of have a bit of a darker side to the hunt as well. In pre-Christian times, children were named at nine days old. And before that, they were believed not to be attached to something called the ancestral tree. If they died before that time, then Mother Holda would take them on instead of their ancestors. She also took children of other ages for various reasons. Sometimes her myths had her stealing the lives and souls of otherwise healthy children because people did something bad or they broke a promise to her or just various reasons. What does Frau Holda do with all these baby souls, I hear you asking? Well, it's said that uh, she traveled as an old woman in a wagon flanked by a procession of children's dead souls. And they would also go on these Yule hunts together with her. But whether Holda was a good witch or a bad witch, one thing remains true. Holda is a goddess of winter. She brought on the first snowflakes of the year by plucking her geese or shaking out her goose feather pillows and comforters until the down feathers flew out of the pillows and comforters. She is the white lady, the silver-haired goddess who knits the white blanket of the snow. Alrighty, friend, grab your passport because it's time to head to our next country and our next... I had to do this, friend. You know how much I love Japanese history, so I had to add a Japanese witch. I promise you'll love her, especially if you get lost in the mountains of Japan. You'll be glad that you know about her. Coming in at four feet tall, a meter and a half-ish for my metric friends, wearing a tattered kimono and always carrying Japanese sake with her, 
the servant to the goddess of cosmetics, it's the one, the only, Oshiroi Baba. Woohoo! Oshiroi Baba is her name, and saving people's lives in the winter is her game. If you listened to the last episode, then you may remember that Oshiroi is the white face powder Geisha and Michael use to do their signature makeup look. Oshiroi Baba. Some folktales say that she is simply the servant that comes out in December to do the goddess of cosmetics biddings. Other tales describe her as an old hag that comes down from the mountain to give those who are lost or in danger of freezing some warm, life-giving sake. But in every tradition, she looks the same. As an ancient woman with a tattered kimono, broken straw hat, heavy with snow, Her signature white face accompanied with deep wrinkles. Her back is bent and she uses a bamboo cane. A bottle of very hot sake is always with her in hand and no matter how cold it is, how cold it is outside, the bottle stays warm. She always has a mirror that she carries with her as well. It's often not seen, but the mirror is always heard, and that's how people know she's coming, by the clanking of her mirror. One of the most famous stories of Oshiroi Baba comes from Nara Prefecture, and I'll tell you. In 1537, a monk of the Hasedara Temple in Nara came up with this brilliant idea to help heal the war-torn nation of Japan. He decided to assemble artistic monks from all across the country to paint a giant image. All the monks gathered together and they were doing their thing and painting and being artsy, but unfortunately, a rival army came and uh, killed a bunch of people and they took all the food that was supposed to be feeding these artistic monks. The monks were starving and they were unable to complete their painting and they pleaded and they prayed to the goddess Kanon to give them something to eat so that they could finish their work. The next day, a young monk spotted an unknown young woman washing rice down at the local well. She pulled the rice from her bucket, washed and ground it up, on the stone and then set it onto a plate. The strange thing was her bucket never seemed to empty. So long as she left a single grain behind in the bucket, the bucket would magically and she would repeat the process, washing the rice, grinding the rice, putting it on a plate to the side, and then the bucket would fill up again. And this went on and on and on until she had washed and ground up enough rice to feed all of the monks at the temple who were working on this project. The young monk was just amazed and he wanted to know who this woman was. So he decided to pick up a rock and throw it at her instead of just like walking up to her, which I don't, I don't understand. Just tap the woman on the shoulder. Don't throw a rock at her. So he threw the And he saw that even though her body was young, her face was white and she was and the young mom. It's the messenger of Kanon, the goddess of cosmetics. 
So the monk's prayers had been answered and they were super happy. So the young monk walked over there after he had thrown the rock at her and was like, thank you for making all this rice for us. And Oshiroi Baba didn't say anything and left. And there was all that. So the monks had food to eat and they were able to complete their temple. And in gratitude, they enshrined Oshiroi Baba and built a temple in her honor there. And this temple can still be seen on the grounds of Hasedere. I personally love the witch Oshiroi Baba because it's just so cute to think about this little old lady that just carries this bottle of hot ass Japanese sake around with her all the time, just helping people out like, here, have some sake, get warm, and then continue your travels. It's just so cute. So I hope you enjoyed this story too. And if you ever find yourself lost in the snow, keep an ear out for the sounds of a clanking mirror as it might be Ushiroi Baba bringing you warm sake to give you strength. Alrighty, my friend, we have come to our final country and witch for the day. She is the inspiration of a ton of witches in art and literature, like Hans Christian Andersen's Snow Queen and C.S. Lewis's Jadis the White Witch. She is the one, the only, the Viking witch queen, Gunhild. Gunhild is super cool and really fun and quite the badass. One thing that sets Gunhild apart is that she was actually a person or is believed to be an actual person. She's like a quasi-historical figure who appears in Icelandic sagas, according to which she was the wife of Eric Bloodaxe. Huh? Excuse me? Eric Bloodaxe? That's a freaking cool name. <laughs> Bloodaxe. Anyways, sorry to get distracted. <laughs> Eric Bloodaxe was the king of Norway between 930 and 934 and Gunhild was his wife. So these people were Vikings, and there's all sorts of pillaging and plundering and killing of people and exchanges of power. You can actually see Gunhild's story in the TV show Vikings, if you're interested in that. In the Icelandic sagas, Gunhild is most often depicted in a negative light, and is depicted as a figure known for her power and cruelty, but she's also admired for her beauty and generosity, and then, once again, feared for her magic, her cunning. People either really loved Gunhild or really freaking hated Gunhild. But where does the witchy part come in? Well, Gunhild may have been married to an Icelandic man, but she herself was Finnish. And it was rumored that she supposedly lived in a hut with two Finnish wizards in Finnmark and learned magic from them. <laughs> Which is a crazy story. According to the legend, she sorceried her way into power because of the black magic that she learned from these two Finnish dudes in a hut. In this hut is where Gunhild would eventually meet her future husband, Eric Bloodaxe. And people said that she put a spell on Eric, and that's how Eric came to fall in love with her, which is just people's way to keep a powerful lady down. 
but I digress. So in the original Legends of the Snow Queen, she can manipulate snow in any way she wants to. This is what she learned from the two Finnish dudes in the hut. She can make snow, she can mold snow, she can do like evil Elsa stuff from Frozen. Making humans out of snow, making castles, making literally whatever she wants to. But was she really evil? We're not really sure, to be honest. Not long after the historical figure Gunhild supposedly died, there was an attempt to tarnish her reputation with the stereotype of evil northern women dealing in dark magic. There was a lot of political tomfoolery that went down when uh, her husband was king, so she was a really polarizing figure. There was this image perpetuated after she died and continued on for centuries, grounded in racism and propaganda against both indigenous Finnish people and unpopular women alike in an attempt to slander and discredit. And this didn't just happen to Gunhild, it happened to powerful women all throughout Finnish and Icelandic history. And you know, this happens all over the world and continues to happen today, but we're changing the narrative and we're taking one step at a time to a world where powerful women can just be self-assured, powerful women. And I think that's pretty awesome. If you'd like to know more about any of these witches that I talked about today, or if you want to know about other witches or other holiday folklore and traditions from around the world, I am going to leave just a bunch of links and extra reading in the show notes. So please go ahead and take a look at that. There'll also be a really good dramatic reading of uh, Mother Holda fairy tale. So go ahead and check that out if you have time or if you would like. So we have come to our final thought today, my friend, and it's gonna be a little bit different. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed my holiday gift to you. I know the holidays have not been what they, uh, what they, what we expected, um, to say the least. But I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're celebrating, you're doing something that brings you a little joy today. I hope you can Skype or Zoom with someone you love. I hope you can eat the most delicious food. I hope you can watch the movie that you've been waiting to or read the book that you've been putting off or just sit on the couch and binge watch trash TV like I'm gonna do today. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is I hope that you can do something that brings you joy, like literally anything. Just do anything that makes you happy. And this is where we're gonna end today. Have a great morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. Have a good one. And I'll see you in 2021 on January 8th when we talk about a pirate queen. Much love. See you later. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>